Swinton paying Hermosa finds the target. Swinton it was. There's a little short kick from Hodge. Who gets the bounce? It's there for Banks. He flicks it out the back door and a try on debut for Tom Wright. What a start, Australia. Welcome to episode 20 of Rugby Fixation. We've finished round one of Super Rugby AU and there's plenty of excitement, especially on one end of the podcast because we've got uh, myself, the avid Red supporter, uh, sort of licking their lips after a very impressive game. We'll, we'll talk about that game quite soon. Uh, and on the other end of that spectrum is my brother, Curtis. Uh, Curtis, how did you find the weekend? Round one, back in action. Yeah, it was really good. Uh, fortunately, my stream cut out after about three minutes for the Reds-Tars game. So I just I just saw the Tars up 7-0 and I assume that's how the game finished. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, then then the Brumbies, my, my, I think the, the number one team for the year, the, the team that's looking the best is sort of a set of their dominance over a pretty strong foresight as well. So a good Tars win and a good Brumbies win. Yep. Um, I won't burst your bubble yet. We'll, we'll wait till the review to um, discuss the full Tars match, but um, that first three minutes definitely was promising. And um, I think there are a few nervous Reds fans in the stadium when they saw that, but uh, look, the next 15 minutes sort of put that to ease pretty quickly. So we will go through that. Um, this week, we're going to cover the two games from this weekend. We're going to have a look at the best team of the week from the four sides combined. Uh, we'll have a look at some of the best players of the weekend as well before we do a bit of a preview for Super Rugby AU, uh, the round two, and then also the beginning of Super Rugby Aotearoa, which I'm very excited for, uh, mainly because it sparks the start of fantasy rugby with uh, the draft rugby platform. So very keen for that. Um, so Cody, I, I will just bring up first and foremost, uh, the following 77 minutes resulted in 41 unanswered points to the Reds. So the Reds did get up at Suncorp, 41 to seven against the Waratahs. Uh, you are right. Jake Gordon started to try uh, off a Jack Maddox offload in the third minute. And Will Harrison nailed the conversion from the sideline. And I thought, gee, this team, they've got some excitement. They could play as, you know, plenty to like just early doors with their engagement. Um, and then it was just 15 minutes of unbridled Reds uh, possession, just looking so clinical and classy with the ball. Uh, they put on three really quick converted tries and just never really took um, a backwards step, even though they didn't dominate for the entire rest of the match. Uh, there was just never a chance where the Waratahs really looked like causing much of a headache for them. So um, just early thoughts on the game. What did you take away from that match? Just, we obviously think that the Reds are cementing themselves as one of the top two favorites. They've got this awesome attacking platform from their backs. Um, but what did you actually take away from that game as a Waratahs fan? Uh I hope Gordon isn't injured for a long time. Is, is probably what I took away. That that was I, actually. I will say that Grant was quite good off the bench, much better than I'd had anticipated because I hadn't seen anything of him play. But I think uh, we'd be pretty rudderless without Gordon, and we were so, sort of rudderless after the Reds got a bit of momentum, uh, even with Gordon on the field. I thought without without those big key leaders, and I mean, you let go of the Australian captain and the Waratahs captain, and a, a person that's played for their state over a hundred times. You're obviously going to be without a bit of experience when you're, when you're, there's a couple of tries going against you. And I know we, I, they're definitely not in a sour time, but there are a couple of calls that went against us as well with the, the forward pass from O'Connor for the try and, and some lineouts that I wasn't too happy with that were just sort of momentum shifters at the start. But now Reds, Reds were very, very good. Reds were probably the best, the most clinical with their attack that I've seen in the past five years I reckon in the first in the first sort of 25 minutes of the game uh I think the Reds change rooms wouldn't be too happy with what they did when there was a red card and they had a man up and they they couldn't score a point against the Tars but uh oh they didn't really need to is the end result so I think I think the Reds looked really good and I uh, yeah I think I think you win your games with your with your second rowers and I think the second row was for the Reds which were a combo that hadn't played before just absolutely destroyed the second rowers for the Tars. And I think a lot of the good work off, off Uru playing uh, on the short side, that was really, really impressive. And I think Blythe probably had a really, really noteworthy performance as well um, for a guy that has sort of had to learn pretty quickly as a, as a starting second rower. So I, I think lots of good individual performances across the park. Um, O'Connor looked very good and steered the ship well. But Tars, back to the change rooms, sort of the worst possible way to start the season with a, a thumping from your 
your biggest rival and then also your captain going down injured and, and a red card to one of your new exciting players who'll be out for a couple of weeks. So not not the ideal start up against tough Brumbies team at home. So it's not looking the best for 2021, round one and two for the Tars, unfortunately. I, I just sort of felt the emotion draining as you were saying that sentence, just thinking, gee, yeah, that was against the Reds. Uh, we're losing three players that were deemed, you know, starters. Uh, yeah, definitely not an easy assignment traveling all the way down to GIO for a battle down there. Um, I want to touch on some of the stats from the game just because, you know, I always go to the numbers and I think they tell a bit of a story um, some of the time. A lot of the stats were pretty similar. Um, and what I mean by that is Reds had 56% uh, possession and 57% of the territory. So they did have the advantage there, but it wasn't a 41 points to seven type of difference. Like it was a, you know, relatively close. The Tars, if they use that ball a little bit better, um, you know, suddenly a much closer game. Uh, the missed tackles. So Reds missed 24 tackles, the Waratahs 25. So again, falling off a few tackles, there is that rust for that round one, but no big disparage uh, there. Um, 14 to 16 penalties. So Tars had two more penalties, but again, not enough to have that massive display of um, difference there. I think what it really boiled down to was just how well the Reds' backs stuck together. And it's going to be something that we look at a little bit when we discuss uh, some of the listener questions, but also breaking down the game a little bit more. This team has been together for a while now. Three years ago, this was a side that looked okay on paper, but lost most of their games because they didn't have the experience. Uh, now I think we're seeing the result of three years, um, mostly the same squad, mostly the same players, um, building some really nice combinations out there and just did better things with the ball in hand when it was counterattacking or when there wasn't that much structure. And then when there was structure, they had enough um, enough presence of mind to be able to capitalize on that a few times. And I, yeah, I think you're right. They'll be kicking themselves a bit that they didn't score a few more points. The big differences came with the um, attacking stats. So the Reds made six more um, line breaks, but the Tars still made five line breaks. So to only get one try from that, I think is pretty bad. And, you know, even the nature of that try was just a bit of a pop pass from Maddox off the ground to Gordon wasn't really much the Reds could do to get around there in time, but it's not the kind of play you could build a season on. Like you're not going to get that situation in many games. Uh, and also the offloads Reds made nine offloads to four, not a massive amount of offloads. I don't think, you know, like nine's good. It's not out of this world, um, especially given the scoreline, but it just showed that enterprise and that ability to want to play the ball more. And the number would have been double digits for sure. If they hadn't dropped a few, like Pasami dropped, um, bit of a ball trying to offload to Stewart. There are a few options there where it could have been a bit higher. Uh, the one that sticks out to me is the kicks. The Reds kicked it 12 times from hand, not including McDermott's box kicks. Uh, the Tars only three times. So a lot of their play came off Gordon. And I think this really highlights that with him gone, they're really going to struggle. Um, Grant came on, did a great job passing. I don't know how his kicking compares. And Will Harrison's obviously a great goal kicker, but he didn't steer the team in the way that I think a lot of us thought he would, just given he had all that time in the Wallabies. So, I'm very keen to see how that, you know, picks up because he is a great player. He's definitely a Wallabies prospect. Um, my big thing is there's still with these two teams a lot to be desired with their lineouts. Both teams missed about 20% of their lineout ball. Really poor from Horden. He didn't have the game I thought he was going to. Uh, Murphy played well in the loose, but again, the Reds they're just going to pick whoever can throw a lineout straight. So if Murphy can get that nailed down, uh, he's got a good chance of keeping the jersey from Pangaramosa. But then. The biggest surprise for me, and I think the thing that might have derailed the Waratahs the most was just the scrum. Um, that was a really impressive looking team on paper. Um, I shouldn't say team, a front row on paper. I thought Bell and HJH were going to eat Xander and Fotowaika. Just they have the experience. They've got the star quality. We didn't see that. They lost three of their own scrum feeds um, without Tupo on the um, field. Like that's that's a massive point of difference, I think, when you look at that at the Southern game as a strength. So that's going to be their big issue. That's where they need to really get back to the drawing board. But I think if they can fix that, it'll be at least a chance for a respectable scoreline against the Brumbies. But I, I don't think there's a chance that they're winning that. Yeah, I think, oh, especially after the trial last week, like HHH was giving out scrum lessons and then he got taught a few himself. Uh, in the first sort of 10 minutes and everyone was fresh. That's that's the thing that I was most surprised by. And I was I was not worried about the scrum at all. I thought we'd be cruising in. 
Uh, and I think a lot of that, I think front rowers probably get a lot of the brunt for a scrum, whereas the second row is a, a massive contributor as well. And I think having where uh, Wetton and Cared having not sort of scrummed in a proper game together, they didn't even play in the trial together. So it's sort of just like maybe maybe that's a, a bit of experience um, that was lacking there. But yeah, that was that was a massive struggle. I do think that was Harrison's worst game that I've seen, which I was I was bit displeased by because he was such a good prospect last year as soon as he got that first kick I just thought this guy is un- unbelievable he's going to have another killer season he slotted that in without any issues and that never looked like missing it was a very hard kick from his bad side on the on the sideline yeah. um but yeah I, th- I think Bell's still good around the park HH didn't have the same game he usually has around the park either and I I'm surprised by that I'm sure that's a one-off for him, and I'm sure he'll be back to his his usual strong performance um, next week. And he'll, he's got a point to prove against two of the best props in Australia, and really two of the best props in the world at the moment. Yeah, that's in Slipper and Alatoa. So I'm sure that'll come back. But yeah, definitely a very very hard week coming up, and a lot of prep with some key people out. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that clash. So I think, as we said before this match, the Tars have the team on paper that could get a few tries, especially if they bring uh, no one can eat a YC in there. That's a bit more excitement, but we'll probably cover that a bit more when we get to the preview. Um, I want to touch on something you said, because obviously you weren't happy with uh, Harrison's game. We're probably expecting a little bit more. Uh, obviously the biggest disappointment was Isaiah Parisi, just an absolute stinker. I'm glad you gave yourself 0% of the credit for that. Um, last week on the pod, you didn't have any um, influence on him because otherwise he would have been doing those tackles legally, no tipping. Um, but just a really reckless thing. Um, a few people online saying, oh, yeah, you know, that adjustment from league. It's not as if he's a leaguey. Like, he went over there for <laughs> a season where he was playing sort of rep footy. He wasn't even really in the Broncos. Um, so, yeah, I'm not giving him any leeway for that. And that's just a needless thing that, you know, cost them the game in one sense. But in reality, it didn't make much of a difference for our first red card. Um, we had all those new laws come in. And I thought, well, we might not even get a red card this season. How are we going to see how it goes? But uh, 37 minutes in, we got one. And there was no discernible difference. Um, we've seen this a few times where teams don't really know what to do with that man overlap. I think they get a bit excited. They think, gee, we're going to be raining tries. We scored you know, three easy tries uh, with a full team. Imagine what we can do with this, uh, one less. The Reds just didn't capitalize, and it was just a series of errors and penalties, and just looking really lost. That middle forty minutes, or thirty seventh minute to the around about the sixty fifth, just really, really uninspiring footy. Um, and the twenty minutes, you know, they ended up keeping them scoreless that entire time. So the Waratahs actually have a little bit of positivity to look from that. Um, and I, th- I think the red card rule ended up being pretty good, like having an extra man come on. Um, if the Waratahs had taken a few more penalties and sort of kept that scoreboard pressure going, I think having a 15th man return um, around that 57th minute actually would have helped them a fair bit and just given them a bit of confidence. Uh, but one of the things that, you know, we say, because it isn't test rugby, we don't take the three that often. Um, but, you know, Waratahs take three or four of those kickable penalties. They're only down by about nine points, um, you know, with 15 minutes to go. Plenty to catch up on and suddenly a lot more pressure for the Reds. So I, th- I think the red card change in this example uh, proved to be a pretty good decision. You know, I'm keen to see it in other instances, um, whether teams can capitalize on it if it happens again. Uh, but two of the other rules that did have a bigger influence, uh, the 50-22. James O'Connor kicked a beautiful 50-22. It was a massive kick um, in about the 68th minute. Um, go back and watch it if you haven't seen it or if you're forgetting what it looked like. Really really impressive kick and changed the game. Um, they had a line out where Waratahs knocked the ball on from there. So they had another um, scrum, they reset. And that's where Saravi gave that beautiful little offload to uh, Daugunu to score a second try. Just really classy. And, and that was the thing that they needed to kick over into gear because they'd been stagnant for so long. So the 50-22 was a real momentum changer. I'm really happy with how that went. Uh, and again, saying that as a Reds fan, as a Tars fan, you're probably thinking, you know, any other day, that would just be our ball again. We probably, you know, walk back down the field, but uh, I'm happy with how it looked. And then the other rule was the goal line dropout. Um, Reds were able to use it pretty tactically because Jock kicked it out in the full. Um, Tars opted for a scrum instead of a re-kick, which is one of the options they've got. And the Reds earned a penalty from it. So, you know, honestly, I think 
three of those um, three new rules all came off pretty well. Nothing to complain about. Yeah, I think I think uh, with the fifty twenty twenty two. Uh, sorry, first of all, with the red card, I think it was a game changer. Not from the perspective that it we we got someone back on, and but that the Parisi went off. He was our damaging runner. He made a couple of half breaks that was looking pretty good and. I don't know if he would have been tamed the whole game. I reckon he was the player that was going to break it out for the Tars. And I was really disappointed to see him go off. Definitely a fair call that it was a red because it was sort of a tip tackle, land on the head after they didn't even have the ball. So not a necessary play. Should have 20 off. Don't know how long he's got off. Maybe I wouldn't say it's too long, maybe two weeks you'd say for that. Maybe max it's three. Even if it's three weeks, that's going to be half the season gone by that point. And this is definitely a show that Waratahs are making finals. So... It really shows how costly these decisions are in a you know short form tournament. Um, but we might yeah. move on from there just so that we can talk about the Brumbies and Force because this was another great game. Um, and both games, despite the score lines, were really entertaining. Um, there would be a few, I guess, fair weather fans that might look at that and think, "Gee, like was it really worth the spectacle? Um, how did it shape up?" The Force Brumbies game was great to watch. Uh, there was a lot of um, really enterprising play from both teams. Uh, Brumbies obviously capitalized on a little bit more. They got up 27 to 11, uh, three tries to one. So they nearly got the bonus point. The force clawed one back uh, right towards the end. Um, but the tries scored here in, in conjunction with the Reds vs. Tars match, one of the things I liked, there was 10 tries scored over the weekend and only one by a forward. So that whole sort of story about, you know, forwards win matches, uh, backs decide by how much, I think it actually came into play here. And all these rules that... Um, you know, Super Rugby you've introduced to try and get the game more free-flowing and a little bit more attacking-based. I think you got to say that came out as a success this weekend. Um, I'm keen to see if it continues, but uh, that's a really good return. Nine from 10 tries from backs. A lot of them, you know, straight to the highlight reel, look pretty impressive. Um, and this game definitely includes, I think, two of the better ones. So I'll go into those. Um, Nick White gave this beautiful pop pass for Lalesio to open up the try scoring. Um just a really clever play took all the forwards um, just out of the game because Nick Watts got this great tendency to attract defenders on both sides of the rock. He's always up sort of, you know, scouting both sides. So it really makes a bit of a headache for defenders. Um, and then Simone and Ikatao, God, they're a great combination. They combine so well. It was a Simone sort of um, run. He dummied, gave the ball to Ikatao who um, brushed past Kundrani who, I'm sure he would have loved that getting past his old teammate, the guy keeping him out of the jersey. Um, and Simone ran the perfect support line, was back on the inside to retrieve it and ran under the post. Like really enterprising play from some guys that are, you know, in the Wallabies squad, but really unestablished players. It's, I think, shown how good last year was under Rennie and getting that Super Rugby AU season together. Um, Simone looked very good. I thought oh, he was, he's standout. a player that seems to get better and better. He was, like if, I'm sure you remember back in 2016, I think it was, he was NRC Player of the Year. He got time at the Tars, 2017, 2018. Brumbies, he's just killed it since he's got to the Brumbies. He was struggling to start at the Tars. He got some good minutes, but he was like an NRC hype player that was a bit more of a, a try scorer than he was a, a sort of game manager. And now he's just, he's picked up his defense. He's a big body. He's a surprisingly big body. He can kick the ball and he's he's looking really good. And he obviously loves playing with Ikatao. There's plenty of excitement there, so... I'm keen to see that. And I think, I think when you look back, and we haven't yet seen the Rebels play, but we know the, the key players that they've got in their back line. I think when you look at that, the Brumbies have Nick White as their leader, and he can sort of put people wherever he wants to. And then they've also got those exciting players. The, the Reds have O'Connor, who just tells players what to do, and then they have he's got individual brilliance outside him. Yeah. And you've got settlers like Paisami and, and uh, Stewart that are also contributing massively. And then... Uh, the Tars don't oh, – the Rebels obviously have Tamua and, and Hodge and Haley Petty that will all do that for them. But the Tars don't have that that leader in their back line that's going to settle them and going to rally the troops, which is the thing that we really need Harrison to stand up for massively. And it's it's a heavy weight on his shoulders. And and the young – like, lalesio has got so much experience around him. And Nick White, just look, just run a line and I'll put you through the hole and score, let you score a try. Yeah. So I think – yeah, missing the Iceman this year, I think, based on the first game. But – I'm confident that Harrison will be able to pick it back up, back up for us. We'll actually touch on that a little bit with the preview because uh, you've mentioned some of the things there about how those teams need that glue. And there's definitely someone in particular that um, a lot of the Waratahs fans are missing out on, but we'll just cover this game first and have a look at some of the key stats. Um, 
some of the things that will go in the force's favor just to start with because they obviously head into the buy this week they didn't come away with a bonus point um so they're going to be a bit disappointed with their start but they do have the record of being the only team with 100 percent accuracy across all set piece and i think that goes to show the experience they got in their forwards that's where you can have the experience like when you've got some old props like greg holmes you got an old lock like jeremy thrush You've got experienced back rowers that, you know, get over the ball and, you know, know when to push and all this sort of stuff. They looked really promising. They won all of their scrums, uh, won all of their lineouts, uh, even stole a few lineouts. Just, I thought they looked really good. Um, so they can hang their hat on that. Unfortunately, that's probably where the positive stops. Um, this one's not a major one, but they were the only team to miss a shot at goal. So both Ian Pryor and Jake McIntyre missed a shot at goal. Um, which is a really promising sign for Australian goal kickers because that's not really been an area of expertise over sort of the last 10-plus years at international level. Um, but it, it was the attacking defensive stats that I thought the force, they've got the team that can really easily rectify this. they just got to work out who's going to play where and uh, who starts, who's benched because a lot of their old crew were the ones missing tackles. Uh, we're looking at Rob Carney, Richard Kahui, Marcel Brachy, Brunard Sander. They all missed three tackles. Uh, and Ian Pryor missed four. That's 16 missed tackles from guys all aged over 30 and all in the backs uh, other than Stander. So we're just seeing that these guys have experience. They're great for the squad. Uh, some of them should start. Some of them be good off the bench. But I do think that you need to pick and choose which of those ones are playing. And obviously Kyle Godwin was supposed to be in the centers, but it was a late scratch. Um but yeah, to me, that's that's too many errors defensively, especially against a team that, while the backs were really igniting it, the Brumbies forwards weren't asking a whole lot of questions. The props are having a few big runs, but uh, the back row and locks were you know doing some hard work, but not a lot of massive runs from them. So it's a lot of missed tackles in my view. Um, they also, I guess, looking at their attack, they made 33 more runs than the Brumbies, but for 171 less meters. Now, that's a massive difference. Um, Bromley's made 10 line breaks. The force only made one. Um, you, you can't score tries without breaking the line. You know, sooner or later, you're going to have to get over there. Uh, and they just, they didn't have that punch. They didn't have that person that could do it. They've definitely got the players that can. Byron Rolson is going to be a gun for them. Um, he, he looks great whenever he gets the ball, but they need to be able to do a bit more than that, especially because they had 58% possession. Like the force were in control in that match. But to be honest, I think their starting team probably didn't use that ball well enough. They didn't create enough opportunities. Uh, they were safe, but, you know, to their detriment because they just didn't get the points in and they probably weren't... Uh, they, they probably weren't expecting the time of Brumby's performance that they put out. The Brumbies came out, uh, kind of threw away the set piece and rolling more um, for large chunks and really used their backs, which I think is something they should be doing more often. Um, were there any other takeaways from that match? I think they're number one, and it's probably been spoken by a lot of people, but Cabelli has to start. Yeah, Ian Pryor is not a starting player. I know he's he's very well respected in the force, a great leader. I haven't seen too much of it, to be honest. For you don't, see, it doesn't look like he's leading them around the park massively. I'm sure he does. He's, he's massive influence in the change rooms, but missing three tackles, missing a kick. He had a poor strike rate with the, off the tee last year. Um, and like his defensive read on Alessio, you're a third defender, you're defending the, the 10, just stand in front of them and make an effort. Just yeah. get, you got caught, a halfback got caught ruck watching. The halfback's meant to be the one person more than anyone that doesn't ruck watch. So I think, I think their team will benefit massively off having really one of the best halfbacks in the world. Cabelli would probably, he's definitely top 10 best halfbacks in the world. And he's, he's a massive influence for Argentina. He was one of the Brumbies' best players when he was playing for the Brumbies back in the day. Yeah. And that was in a good Brumby side. So I think I think it's probably cut your losses there. If, if there's a slightly less in, lower impact of, of leadership on the field um, versus a player that can really threaten and excite you around the park in Cabelli and bring on some other really good players, I think you've got to take that and let someone else step up into that leadership role or have a... Have the old who was it? There was a rugby. Was it uh one of the rugby league players? I think it was Canberra that had a, a captain that sat on the bench. It was the older no Gower Craig Gower used to sit oh, on the bench from Penrith in the team. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so unless unless they do something like that, but geez, I, th I think that's I think for me Cabelli's the excitement factor there. 
He brings a lot of leadership. He's got played plenty of footy and he's very, very good. I think that's a must for them. And your halfback will will change your game completely in the way you play. Yeah. And you can nearly go a full Argentinian swap because Domingo Miotti, he's the most exciting fly half they've got. Uh, John Lance is a great player, a great servant to the game. Um, normally very safe, putting a lovely chip kick for Byron Ralston. But again, I think you need someone that can bend and break the line a little bit more. And if they are going with those more experienced, older, slower outside backs, um, then they probably need someone to have a bit more spark inside. And Miotti provides that. Um, we're going to move on to the team of the week. Before we do, I just wanted to ask you, I guess, one pointed question. Um, based off that first round, do you think the Tars would beat the Western Force? Yeah, so I think that I think if the two teams played next week, the Force would win. Uh, I don't think that we saw the best of either of the teams last week. I think if we're going based off a combination of what we saw preseason, um, what we saw last year, and the, the teams and and the recruitments that the teams have had, then it's probably going to be a pretty close encounter when they do get to playing. But I think definitely off off last week alone, you're looking at a force team that's going to hold possession more and a TARS team that will probably be without um, without Gordon. Keen to see the, the report on his injury, but um, I think I think the force have a lot more experience and the experience will probably show, especially in the, the second half of the games. But I'm also hoping that it was a bit of an anomaly on the weekend. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think versing, versing any team away, especially the, the Reds and the Brumbies, it's going to be an upset if you can get the win. Um, so it'll depend on, a lot on where the grounds are. If they're playing, if playing at force, it'll be a pretty hard win. Um, if they're playing at home, then I'd say the home team is probably going to have a, a slight advantage. But there's a there's a lot to happen between now and then. Obviously, the for, the Tars will get the home against the force in the the first time they play. So I'd almost rather at the second time when the the combinations have had a bit more time to get together and get some uh, get some good footy together, really. So, yeah, I think I think you'd probably have the force above them at the moment. It's pretty hard to have the the Tars seeded anything other than fifth after the first week alone. Well, for what it's worth, I'll um I'll be supporting the Tars in uh, most other fixtures, uh, just because I do feel bad. It was a bit of chat with uh, you and the pick and drive rugby guys, the drive rugby guys about um how the Red Sabora Tars game was going to go, and I think we all thought it was going to be close, and I was getting a bit scared towards the end, but. Gee, I could only be humble for so long. I waited a bit on Twitter, but geez, Reds are looking good. Absolutely thumped the Tars. I'm very, very happy with um with the result and happy to talk about a Tars loss. But I, I will be going for them against the Force. Um, and I'm keen to see how they improve because I don't think that's representative of their game. Um, but I, I was pretty kind throughout the preview and the first half of this pod, so I'll I'll, I'll just leave that as my only uh, gloat for now. Uh, looking at the team of the week, it reflects the games pretty heavily. Um, there's a few Reds, a few Brumbies. You haven't actually seen my team of the week yet, so I'm, I'm just going to run through this. Uh, feel free to offer your rebuttals. Um, there's a few players I've definitely got open argument for, but there's a, at least half the team is a pretty um, open shot case. Uh, starting at Lucid Prop, I've got Xander, Kaitu'u, and Alalatoa as my front row. Uh in the locks, the first real headache came up here because it was three standouts, but I picked Sarah Uru and Fergus Lee Warner. Uh, in the back row, Rob Valentini, Fraser McWright, and uh, Pete Samu. And then the back line, I think a lot less arguments through here, but Nick White, Noel Alessio, Filippo Dangunu, Ira Simone, Len Ikatao, Jordi Patea, and Jack Maddox. Um, and we can go into a few of those in a bit more detail, but Straight off the bat, I guess, were there any names that stood out or that you, you know, thought of offensively wrong? No, I don't think so. I, I would wouldn't have Xander. I'd, I'd scratch him, and he'd be probably fourth pick, maybe third or fourth pick. I'd have Slipper or Bell over him. Bell, uh, if if he didn't drop that ball where he made that half break, and Angus Scott Young literally just fell off him, uh, that's he's in the team of the week. That's unfortunate that he dropped that ball. He definitely didn't have his best game, um, but I think Slipper also around the park was very good. Yeah. It's hard to hard to just remove the best best loose head prop in the country from the team of the week. So I think Slipper probably edges everyone out there just because of how much work he gets through and the sort of lead up to the plays. That, uh, for example, the just the quick ball for the Nick White to hold up and put Lalesio through the gap off the yeah. back of the Slipper run. I think you just don't get that experience from some of the younger players. I'll go through some of the other players that I had on there and maybe justify someone because I did have Slipper originally, but 
I think the point of difference came to me that Xander was so underrated coming into this and really peaked against, you know, two Wallabies props. Uh, and Slipper's yellow card, even though it wasn't, you know, match-defining, um, it did just give that extra little inning for um, the force to sort of capitalise. So I, I think without Slipper's yellow card, he was definitely the best. Um, but Xander just looks so good there. Um, a lot of people I've seen online, because I've seen rugby.com.au have put up a team. So of um, Paul Cully for the Sydney Morning Herald. Both picked Alex Murphy. I, I guess he scored the try and he looked pretty solid, but Katu got all of his lineouts. Uh, Murphy missed up three of them. And I just think, you know, in this sort of game, you need to have someone that's getting all their lineouts. So I'm, I'm going to reward the set piece. Uh, and then at Loxaru Uru, what a debut. Like, I know he'd had some time with the bench, but this is his first starting game, first time at Lock um, at Super Rugby level. Offloaded everything, got two lineout steals, um, set up the third try just with some of his enterprise, set up the first try with some of his enterprise. Just looked really good. Um, it, it's a real yeah, sign of the depth. Sarah's uh, a, a great player, another, yeah. another great East Tiger, so it was good to see him perform. I actually, despite acknowledging Uru was better, on these are the best. best Part five player probably on the park for the, the Queensland New South Wales game. I've put Blythe in as my second row with Lee Warner just because that's the best game he's yep. I've probably seen him play. He got G'd up for it and he played as a second rower. The the difference being Uru played more of his usual back rower role, but he, he locked in the scrum. Yeah. And he probably had a bit more line out action. But I do think he still played as a as a number eight. And if we if we sort of had him as a number eight where he, he usually plays, he would have been the, the number eight team of the week. Yeah. But uh, I think Blythe has gone from being a pretty lucky person to be in a super rugby team to being pro- a, probably a pretty genuine threat for maybe even a starting role with the Wallabies this year with, with Philip out and some, and Simmons gone. That's, that's two yeah. of the three that were in the comp last year. Lucan's out for a couple of weeks. If Lucan gets injured, who knows? He might be the first picked. Like it's anything could happen. I think he looked, he looked like a, a good second rower, and he almost looked like a Rory Arnold when he was getting started out in his career a bit with just holding yeah. people up and, and heavy contact. Oh, definitely. And Blythe was my fourth choice because even before them, I had Caden Neville, um, who made twenty four from twenty six tackles, disrupted so much ball. He and Blythe have a, a really similar role, just as that enforcer and that um niggly sort of started like he really just got in the face of those false players and probably caused a lot of the headaches around um just getting that quick ball so i, I think his his value is um you know really hard to measure and even in the pregame justin harrison who's a world-class lock himself uh was saying that he's a wallaby in the waiting and i, I think he's on the money with it um i consider putting angus scott young in just for that try saver he did on uh, jake gordon because you know gordon scores that try suddenly the game's a lot closer and there's a bit more um, to play for, but Scott Young did a great job to stop it. Tizano, awesome starting debut, absolutely carved up. Um, again, I think he was another sort of 24, 25 tackles or something like that, just really dominant too. Uh, one that I think could be contentious, but Cabelli, like he was the bench one, but scored a try on the bench and just looked really solid. Like he, he did what you want your halfback to do. And then, the last one, like I didn't put Maddox in there just to get a token Waratah. I did think he was the biggest threat in the back line, um, especially with Gordon off. Tom Banks definitely had a good game, was in contention, but I just want him to do the simple things right. And you look in the eighth minute, they have this great overlap. Um, Banks gets the ball. He's got all this open space. Carney's the only defender sort of insight. All he has to do is get the pass out to Hanson. Hanson admittedly is running probably a little bit too flat a really, really easy play for a, for a Wallabies back. Just had to get the pass out and throw it forward. Now, you can make the argument that um, Jock did the same thing to uh, Jock Campbell in the Reds match and it just wasn't called up. But I, I think the issues like that is where I want my Wallabies fullback making those plays, finishing those tries, especially when you're versing the force. Like, it's a different kettle of fish when you're versing the All Blacks and, you know, you might have someone jamming in on you. And Rob Carney is a good defender. But, you know, I, I want Banks making those sorts of plays and sort of finishing them. So that's why Maddox got the look in there. I just want to link that up to the play of the week. And to me, it's a team that, you know, they didn't even score a try off it, but it just looks so good. The Western Force, it's around the 30th minute. Uh, John and Lance puts in a crossfield kick. They've got advantage. So, you know, just sort of playing with it. 
Byron Rolson does this ridiculous one-handed catch. He's on the sideline. He, you know, just sorts of juggles it in. Um, he's got a defender on him and still has the peace of mind to put a grubber through. Perfectly weighted, gets past all the Brumbies um, defenders. Um, they end up, you know, getting on the ball, but the force of their numbers and, you know, with the attack, so they push over and get the ball back. Uh, they have a nice little passage of play and end up scoring a penalty goal from it. Just a really clever play. Um, Lance with the kick, but Rolston, he's just going to be one of these wingers that you don't want to have the ball in hand if you're versing him because he's going to be able to score or get around you or set up someone else. So to me, uh, he didn't make my team of the week because I don't think he did enough throughout the rest of the match. But that singular play was just my play of the week. It was just unreal, I thought, watching that. Yeah, I think there's there's plenty of excitement for Wallabies outside backs these days. Not, I'm not saying that Rolston's anywhere near it because I think there's a lot better in, in sort of Korobedi, Dalgunu. Vunavala will be exciting to watch. Ram's been great last year and he's he looked okay again. Now Maddox, you could still probably say, is a winger. Nwanga Nidiwazi coming through. Rolston coming through. Solomon Carter, still very exciting player. So, yeah, I think there's a lot to be excited about with our Wallabies outside backs at the moment. Um, the, the thing I'd add from from the Maddox perspective is highlight for me, yeah, he was good around the park. He had a pretty rocky start with some high balls. But when Patea ran straight into him thinking, I'm oh, Patea, I'm just going to run over you. Maddox just wrapped – he went high and he it, he went backwards. Yeah. So that was that was the highlight for me, even though the play got stopped. Not too often, many players, let alone a fullback who's not renowned for his defence, will just stop Patea in his tracks. So – that I was very happy to see that, and that gave me a bit more confidence in, in Maddox's defence. Mm. Um, look, we've spoken about it a bit throughout the game, so um, I'll not go into too much detail with the Brumbies versus Waratahs preview. Um, I think we're you know pretty on top of that. We've mentioned Gordon so vital, so Grant will come in and do a good job, but he's going to be missing that game. Uh, they're going to need a new pair of centres probably. That's going to be really interesting to see how they gel especially because the Brumbies just have a really solid team and came away without any uh, serious injury concerns from what I could tell. Um, they might even be getting Scott Seo back, which you know, just makes their troubles even harder. Um, but you'd expect playing at home, Brumbies should win that by you know, maybe 20, 20 or more. Um, I'm keen to break down the Reds and Rebels because Rebels are the only team we haven't seen yet. And for those that might not be uh, familiar, they've got a lot of injuries and, uh, and I, I want to make sure that they're known because a few of these are, you know, ongoing, a few are from their trial match. But a lot of these players I had in my ideal starting team. So uh, for the Rebels, they're going to be without Cameron Orr uh, and Matt Gibbon in the front row. Uh, their captain, Dane Hallett-Petty, he's going to be out. Issy Nasirani, he's going to be out. Uh, Campbell Magne, who probably would have been starting in the centres, he's going to be out. Uh, and Gerald Skelton, who has a promising highlight tape that people keep sharing on Twitter, uh, he's injured as well. So... That's a lot of players that I'd have in my 23 that they're going to have to go in without. Um, I think for me, the big question mark, they can probably cover most of those positions. They've had to bring in Albert Anne, who played 27 games for the Reds, uh, spent a bit of time in, um, I think, Treviso in Italy. Uh, and it was pretty good over there um, from all reports. But, you know, not a super rugby starting loose head prop, I wouldn't say. But they, they can sort of cover those. The big question marks for me is in the back line. Uh, to me, they're missing their best fullback. They're missing um, probably their starting 13 as well. Um, Cody, how do you see them filling that role um, for that sort of 12-13 axis? Or is it a case of moving to Moore into 12 and blooding young Carter Gordon? Uh, I'm keen to see how it plays out because I do think that they have a few options. And the the weird thing about the Rebels is they're probably not as fussed because they do move their team around so often and they do have a lot of players that are versatile that can move around. So I think naturally Hodge will slide back into 15 with Hayla Petty out. I think you'll have Corabetti and probably Young on the wings. And I, I probably expect to see Lockie Anderson starting in the centres. Yep. And the other centre spot is pretty up for grabs, I'd say. They've, they've got some options. Maybe they do put Carter Gordon in, but I don't know if it's pretty tough blooding going to Suncourt where you, you used to play and used to be in the squad for the Reds and playing your first game starting at 10 with a bloke who's never played with you at halfback in Joe Powell. Um, but you do have the experience of Tamur outside you. So I'm guessing if, if they do go Carter Gordon, his workload will probably be 
a bit lighter and Tamua will play the game with two men. Yeah. Uh, and I'm very, very keen to see Tamua again. I'm very keen to see him play. He was very good in the games that he played for the Wallabies. And as soon as he went off, he looked a lot worse as a Wallabies team last year. Yeah. And he looks like he's been keeping very fit and his kicking has looked very good as well. So I'm keen to see the impact that he can have and the structure that the Rebels play with. Uh, I do think, yeah, Cameron Orr might give him probably the yeah, starting and bench loose head prop. So that's pretty rough to be losing both of those one week before your first game. So I don't know. I, th- I think you'd be pretty confident with the Reds win at home again, especially after that. Yeah. Um, Although we know the Reds haven't backed up games that well in the past. I think 2021 is different. I don't think the Reds will lose a match and I think they're the best team in the planet. So um, I'm glad you're in agreement with that. Uh, (laughs) We'll zip right past it. Uh, Look, very quickly, I think um, I'm just going to see Vunavali get a crack. Um, He's just going to go one week without punching any Sackies. So if he does that, can you see him get a spot in the 23? Just... Not that he deserves it really after that and after Undra Sessi's uh, nice little try off the bench, but we brought him over. Um, Rugby Australia are really keen to see him play. They've obviously paid big bucks to get him. Um, so I, I want to see what he has to offer, and I think we're all going to be impressed by it. Um, my view would be Reds by 15. Um, you know, This is a Rebel team that haven't played yet, got a lot of injuries, and Reds are playing at home. 15 might be even a little bit um, selling it short, but... We'll see as the teams get named how confident I am and whether I might boost that up a little bit. I'm keen for the start of Alto Roa. Um, the Highlanders versus the Crusaders, historically a really good clash. Um, normally a really high-scoring and exciting clash as well. I think round one, a bit uh, rusty, that's going to be the case again. My big thing for them is just the number of injuries. Uh, Highlanders are going to be without Aiden Johnston, Perry Perry Parkinson, Fatuli Payer copped a bit of an injury. And then also Liam Squire, I don't think he's completely fit yet. That might have changed, but they've just got a few niggles there. Um, And they've got a very experimental side as it is. So this is a team that looks great um, in the trial matches. They're running a lot of great ball. They've got a lot of new young outside backs, but they don't have any settled experience other than um, their hookers and Aaron Smith. So I'm keen to see how they go there. And then the Crusaders, they're pretty much the perfect team, except when you factor in they've got George Bridge out injured, Braden Enor out injured, uh, Manasa Matayeli, he's out injured as well. And then from their last trial match, it uh, looks like David Havili's going to miss the match with a head clash. Uh, he's got concussion protocols to get through. And Will Jordan's got a big hit to the ribs, is looking likely to play, but still a bit of an injury concern. Those five players, they're all outside backs. You know, Enor plays center, but can cover the wing as well. The other four are wings and fullbacks. So that's going to be a massive, I think, hole for them to try and fill if they do have to replace all of them. Do you see Highlanders being able to, you know, capitalise on that or is it still a Crusaders win? I think it's a Crusaders win. You look at their forward pack and you go, that's a, you'd be happy for that team to be your All Blacks team for the World Cup. Yeah. So a I lot think, of people, I think... yeah, a lot of people on Twitter have been saying the Crusaders are sort of looking like, you know, the Reds nearly they're that good so i am um, i can definitely see them getting in, in terms of wardrobe um more so in terms of skill ability um fan base but um mm. yeah no. <laughs> not I hearing haven't any of that. seen too much of that no <laughs> oh. might be the fact that crusaders have a few trophies to the name and the reds just have a plucky attitude but um I, i'm really excited to see this game obviously crusaders are the benchmark so if the Highlanders can put in a good performance, you know, that still puts them in a good uh, position for their season. But Crusaders, I think we'll say this with pretty much whoever they verse, they've got the upper hand, they've got the shortest odds. Um, they should win this pretty comfortably, even with those injuries. That leads into the Hurricanes versus Blues match. And this is going to be a really tight one, I think. Um, the biggest difference for me, every team starts the season with injuries. Uh, the Hurricanes... Uh, going to be without uh, Jamie Booth, who's their long-term replacement for TJ Perinara. So they've got no experience here at halfback. They've also lost Simon Hickey, who was their experienced fly half, who they brought uh, back into New Zealand. He's out uh, for the whole season. And then Fraser Armstrong, Dane Coles, and Tyrell Lomax. Uh, that was their starting front row for all of last year. And I think 
at least two of them are injured. None of them have had really any game time this year. So that's a big issue for me. Whereas the Blues, they, they've got injuries to offer Tuanga Farsi, Hoskins Satutu, and TJ Fayani. The big difference there, they're three great players, but they're players that the Blues have replacements for. Um, and I think this is where the Crusaders have excelled for so long. You build a team with depth so that if you get injuries, it doesn't really seem like a disadvantage. And you can't cover for every injury, but this Blues team, even if those three don't play, they've got a star-studded team. You know, they've got all blacks across the board. That Hurricanes team, you know, you take out that front row and booth, it's going to be really hard to see how they can get their exciting back row and outside backs into the game because they've got the players that could break it open. But they need to be able to actually get them front put ball and get the ball to them. So um, for me, I'd be tipping a Blues win here. Probably it is at Wellington, but probably Blues by 10. Uh, how do you see that one going, Cody? Yeah, I think the Blues will have to get it as well. Um, strong team. Satuta's a big loss. Twang Plus is a big loss. But yeah, I don't think there's any bigger loss than losing your halfback or your 10. So especially after I've already lost TJ, I think, I think it's a massive loss starting the season um, without your, your key halfback. Um, so I think, yeah, in Wellington, it's always a hard game. You, I think last year was the first year that the Blues had won in Wellington for some time. So if, if they've got that confidence now that they've, they've won there recently. So I think that'll be big for them. The Blues team is looking good. They've got a really good coaching team as well. So I think, yeah, yeah you'd be pretty happy to let them run through and your Crusaders, Crusaders to win as well. Is that, it? Is that in Forsyth Bar? Uh, yeah, so both the Highlanders and Hurricanes are playing at home. So that'll, you know, push it back a little bit more in their favour. But I still think Crusaders and Blues, uh, they're the two teams to watch. Um, and they should really be beating nearly everyone they verse except for the Reds. Um, greatest team in the world. So right. <laughs> you're just sick of hearing that now. Um, we'll, we'll very quickly cover our questions. We've got a few um, good ones in here. I won't talk too much about the stand package just because um, obviously you don't have access to that in the UK, but what you need to know is it is awesome. They had an hour preview before the Reds match. Uh, they even had Scott Cam, uh, the Channel 9 legend, coming in doing a nice um, uh, Phil Gould-style uh, talk about it, but a lot more down-to-earth, a lot more uh, family man style. Even had a Wallabies jersey with a signature on the back, so that was kind of a nice touch to see. Um, but... Nelson Dale from uh, the Draft Rugby Podcast brought up one of the great things that they've done, which is after the tries, they get to see the 4K um, camera come through and you get that really real-life close-up of them. Um, it looks like a movie. It looks like you're seeing something that's directed by um, you know, Christopher Nolan. It looks awesome, this stuff that they're doing at the end. Um, and I think in particular, just that last try that Reds scored, seeing Indra Sessi, uh, get that close up, all the team rushing in to congratulate him. Really looked like an awesome experience for the fans at home that are watching. So I, I just want to check, did you actually get to see that in action? And what are your thoughts on it? No, I didn't get to see that, unfortunately, not on the on the stand package, but um, I'm all for anything. All The more coverage we get, the better, and the better quality of the coverage, the better also. So I think that's that's great steps in the right direction. I hope it continues to flow and that other people are seeing it as well. We're not just the diehards. Yeah. Um, Mitchell Foster again, got in touch um, from the pick and drive rugby podcast. So are we looking out for their pod to drop uh, in the next few days as well? Just can hear a slightly different perspective on that Red Stars game. Um, he asks, what do you suggest us loyal Waratahs fans do? Do we jump ship now? We'll hold off a few more rounds, naively hoping for a change in form with a uh, crying emoji. So, uh, more tongue-in-cheek, that one. But, Cody, you're a Waratahs fan as well. Are you calling this season a building season? Do you want them to just keep this squad together and you know prepare for 2022? Or do you actually see them with a chance of claiming some wins, especially against Rebels and Force, perhaps, and uh, sneaking into the finals? I mean, I think that reality is every season is a building season and you should always look to build, especially with the amount of churn that rugby in Australia sees at the moment. So yeah. you can never be stagnated. Even the Brumbies and Crusaders would be seeing this as a building season for them. So I think it is definitely more for us. Um, I think like if you, you look at that game and Harrison has a better performance, the forward pass goes differently. Angus Scott Young doesn't make that tackle on Gordon then you're looking at a very different game. And we already saw two different games last year with the Reds and the Tars. The home game, the home team smashes. 
So actually, the Tars nearly won last time. You, you bring back Swinton, you look at the impact that he'll have. You let Wedden actually play how he played last year. That's a massive impact as well. Yeah. They get some combos back. The, the team list, I still look at it and I get excited. And the first three minutes, I'm sure you were sweating in your boots that the Tars are going to put on another 50 points in the Reds here. So I, I think none of it is far-fetched. Nothing, I don't think anything in this AU season is far-fetched other than the, the Brumbies and Reds being in the top three. Um, and even the Reds, you look at them and that was two different teams on the weekend. The first 30 minutes versus the next 30 minutes. Yeah. The, the second 30 minutes of that game is sort of what you've grown to expect from the Reds in the last year or two. If they can pull together more of that half hour at the start where they're scoring lots of points, they look really good, they're clinical and they've got lots of sharp play, then yeah, that's that's they're going to be a really hard team to beat. But one game alone, we don't know if that's gonna if we're going to see that all season. Um, I just think the only surety surety is that the Brumbies are going to always put in a good performance. The Brumbies are never going to get thumped, and I think they're always going to score points. I don't want to pump them up, but I, I just think that's they're still the team to beat after after this weekend. Um, I, I think the Tars can beat any other team. Yeah, I can't see I can't see the Tars beating the Brumbies definitely at, at GIO, and I don't think it'll happen elsewhere. Um, but I think there's plenty of promising signs, and it's a real opportunity now, especially with Gordon out. I'd I'd be starting Parecki, and I'd be making him captain this second because he was phenomenal off the bench, um, and there's he's got that leadership quality, and yeah, you bring back Swinton, you get Dempsey playing a better game. You get HDH and Bell playing as they did last year. And then that's a really good forward pack and a better platform for our young halves combo to play off. That covers really well, I think, everything that we need to look at for the next question. So I think you're right. Like, There's no need to um, lose hope. And I know that Mitch hasn't. But um, for Waratahs fans that are looking at that thing, it's going to be a long season. Still a lot of promise there. Still a lot of promise in that team and a few different things go their way. Uh, but Russell, um, at Russell the Rugby on Twitter, asked probably the most um, salient question for what we're talking about here, which is how many seasons off do you think the Tars are from where the Reds are now? Because we did mention that building for so long and that you know the Reds had to sort of stick at it for a while before they got the performance they got uh, this weekend. Quick answer, I think probably two seasons. Um, I think they've got a young side here. They're still... Uh, we put the stats up in that um, podcast two weeks ago and I've put them all on the rugby fixation Twitter. Um, they've got the youngest starting team on average. You know, as you said, Angus Bell is a baby in propping years. Uh, Will Harrison, one of the best fly in the country and being talked up a lot, still so young, you know, like he's got so much time to develop. Um, and I think you'd say the same for the center combos, for some of their outside backs, for pretty much every player that you'd want in their starting team, other than maybe... Uh, Jack Wedden or Sam Wikes when they're in there. Uh, Jack Dempsey, who's obviously going overseas. And Jake Gordon, he's 27. Like, that's still pretty young. Like, he's still going to be at the next World Cup. So, two more seasons. They keep this same group, maybe get, you know, one marquee signing for excitement, one established player. Um, somewhere in the backs, just that continuity. Um, this is where I probably bring up what uh, the boys from Pick and Drive and Draft Rugby have been saying. This is where they need Carmichael Hunt. He's a player that I think most people were sort of indifferent about it as a Wallabies perspective because um, he wasn't offering that much. But if you're looking for a player that can play across the back line, uh, safe in defense, keeps the ball alive and through the hands and attack, he can kick, uh, he can set people up well, he does you know enough in the ruck and all that sort of stuff, he's a really safe option. He's the experience they need. He's the composure they need. Um, and they released him. They let go of him. So I think right now the Waratahs are really missing him. But there's plenty of players around that they could either sign short-term to fill that hole or stick with Walton, stick with Maroa, try and develop that into them. You know, two seasons, Waratahs will be, again, a force to be reckoned with. I think the Tars needed 12 is the thing, and I don't know who that's going to be. I think they need a big ball-running 12, given Harrison's a playmaking 10. And if we, I think Pariti is definitely the long-term option at 13 at the moment, given our current crop. Yep. Walton was two different players in the trial versus round one. He was probably, I hate to say, probably the Tars' worst on the weekend. Uh, he got rings run around him. So that wasn't good to see after a really promising trial and some good bits last year, some bad bits last year as well, but some good bits. 
yep. and a very good shoot shield player from all reports. So um, this is the eternal optimist to me speaking. Next year we get Hooper back. So that's the best forward in Australian rugby coming back again. Probably the biggest impact that the Tars have had over the last five years. Easy. Yeah. I'm well, still optimistic that I'll, Ho- that... I'll stop you there just because he's probably the ninth best forward behind the starting eight for the Reds. But oh. otherwise I agree with you. When will we hear the end of it? <laughs> when you beat us. <laughs> when um, you beat us. I am still optimistic that Rodder will be going to the Reds next, uh, to the Tars next year. Given I, he'll want to be back in Australia before the 2023 World Cup. He's yep. only on a one-year deal, and I don't think he'll be going back to the Reds after the exit that he had. And he's a new South Welshman. So that is my optimism. If you get Bell with another season, you get Parecki's, I'm going to say the Wallabies, in the Wallabies 23. You get HJH, you're still a great player. You add Rodder and Hooper to your back to your to your second row and your back row and you get Swinton back playing, that's a completely different team to what we just saw. So that's yeah. if that's next year, I'd be very optimistic. You get Harrison with more games. Um, you need a 12. Desperately, desperately need a 12 that's gonna either make gain line or be a contributor to bring on the exciting players that don't carry as much weight but are very exciting in Ram Maddox and the Wanga Nita Wazi. Yeah. So Agreed, I think exactly. I think more than anything we need a 12. I am not as sold as a, as my fellow good Waratahs supporters on Carmichael Hunt. Right. I don't think he did enough, to be honest. I, I get the whole point about you didn't have to offer him much money, and I think it was silly that they let him go for, for nothing. But I don't think the Tars need to turn around what they've had in the last year or two. Um, and I don't think he's a person to turn around for you. Yes, he'd be great in the training paddock, I wouldn't want to see him starting in 12. I don't think he did enough. I really don't think he's that impressive of a player. I'd, I'd say if I had the two to pick from, I'd start Hamish Stewart over him, and I don't think Hamish Stewart's a phenomenal player. So wow. Tars need to find someone better than Hamish Stewart to be their 12, because the reality is there's Simone is a better player. It's like Simone, Paisami at 12. Uh, who else have we got? Cole Goblin's not a bad shout, but there's, there's just a lot of... we Tars need a 12. I think that's more than anything. We're missing a 12, especially with a 9 and 10 who are going to be very inexperienced and a 13 that they haven't played with. I think what you touched on there, which probably speaks more of the Waratahs um, environment, keep in mind they had Ira Simone and used him maybe five times. You know, like he... Simone was getting sprinkling a game time and I get that they had Kurtley Beal then. I get it as a different team, but there was no looking to the future to try and get him minutes. And now Brumbies have, you know, well, at least from this week, the form inside center. Um, and then you look at someone like Kyle Godwin, the Tars gave him an offer and he turned it down to go to the force. He didn't want to be involved with the Waratahs. Um, whether that was because Twiggy was able to add a few, uh, you know, higher numbers or an extra zero to that check, maybe, but um, I just think that they've had the opportunity to build players Unfortunately, their reputation has let them down a little bit over the last few years, um, just with the environment and the the players leaving the club. But Penny seems like a genuine guy that wants to improve the team and has uh, the desire to do it, the cattle to do it. Um, he's going to give those guys time to improve. So I, I think a good year with him and it'll suddenly become the attraction that it should be because, you know, I think I've mentioned it once, at least I'm a Reds fan, but the Waratahs should be the team you want to play for. Biggest city in Australia. Um, historically, provides the most Wallabies. Young players should want to be playing for them. Um, they're just going to create the environment where that's the most desirable thing to do. And I, I think they can do it. I think that's something that they'll probably be building towards because I think they're going to realise that relationships are going to be more important than results in the immediate short term and just trying to get that uh, team back up and running. But anyway, we, um, we've run over time. Um, we do this every time. It's about 15 minutes this time, which is probably a little bit better than some episodes. But um, look, if we're talking rugby and uh, you know, you've made it this far, then I see no issue with it. So, Cody, again, sorry for keeping you on, but I uh, appreciate you coming on to talk about it, especially after Waratah's loss and after not having the full Stan Sports package. Um, I will go into more detail about Stan Sports uh, in the future, hopefully once you've been able to see it either through a VPN or 
maybe with a guest if um, they've been able to experience it because it is a great package and it has um, really enhanced the rugby viewing experience. Um, you only need to go to Twitter to see how many people are talking up just how good it is. So um, very excited to have rugby back. Awesome round one. Uh, I think we're going to be in for an even better round two with the New Zealand teams thrown in and looking forward to talking about it again with you next week. Yep, very keen and keen for the draft to start this weekend as well so I can reclaim my title as the, the Triwizard Cup champion. You have not won a single, single event and I <laughs> I hope uh, our fellow draftees are listening to this just to hear that absolute rubbish where I think you might have finished at best with a third place, Ruben. Yeah, well, the season didn't finish, it got cut off, so I was I was front contender before it got cut off. Oh, God, I've heard it all. Um. Yep, see you for draft night and uh, enjoy the footy. Ciao, Luke. Talk to you later. Yeah, see you, mate.